Welcome to Sundays with Stories. I'm Zach Rhodes, and I'm here with Dr. Stanton Peel. Stanton, great being with you. My pleasure, Zach. So we're going to kick off today with, well, a story. And after all, you are sort of the, the master of case studies. You absorb news and cultural events. You point them toward your work. You talk about how your work matters in those cases. And it's starting to rub off on me. But I'm going to leave it to you today. We're talking about how, you know, it's easy enough to say people develop out of addictions. You know, people get better over time, especially people who are well-resourced. We talked a little bit about Steve-O. I mean, he wasn't exactly from a well-to-do place, but still he had some celebrity status. He skipped the line. He had money. And we've talked a lot about celebrities, you know, from Drew Barrymore, um, Delton John, Bob Weir. And so I guess who we've seemingly disregarded, although we're hoping to clean that up right now, is people who are really in the throes and the depths of addiction. You know, they're over-concentrating on something as a reprieve for their life such that they can't, they're in a slump that they can't seem to pull themselves out of. How does somebody really outgrow something that they're, uh, they seem so enmeshed in um, and then when their life is so complicated. And ironically, you're actually going to start us off by talking about some celebrity stories, but people will see where you go from there. I'm going to leave it to you. Well, people might say it's good for you to talk, as you, as you were saying, about people who were well-resourced and overcome addiction. And they might say, oh, are you talking about some people who smoked some pot in their 20s or maybe, you know, had a DUI? What about people with real addictions? People who were really sunk low and it went on for years and they really sacrificed a lot. So today we're going to talk about two famous below rock bottom cases, people that just seem completely submerged. They're both famous now, and probably as much as with Drew Barrymore, nobody thinks about their addict past anymore, probably. Um, we're gonna talk about Lindsay Lohan, who was an established youth star. <clears throat> She was already famous as a film actress when she was 14. Um, she had quite a bit of movie success. She had a musical, a strong musical career. And then she just seemed to go over the Niagara Falls. She had incident after incident and was in rehab time and again and couldn't get herself straightened out. And then believe it or not, we have somebody whose story was even worse and who's even more famous now. Just saying his name should make people think, what do I think about addiction? And that's Robert Downey Jr. So um, he came from a famous arts family. He had early artistic success. And then he went below rock bottom. He was like the worst example of somebody who couldn't get their act together. And now he's an international superstar. So we can start out by, with the uh, introduction you gave, how are Drew Barrymore, Lindsay Lohan, and Robert Downey like people in Appalachia and Kensington and Philadelphia? By the way, speaking of relevance, right this moment, Barack Obama's speaking in Philadelphia and he's talking to the kind of Kensington, Kensington is an area of Philadelphia, which is one of the biggest killing fields in the country. 
and he's addressing that environment. <clears throat> but how are Barrymore, Lohan, and Downey, like people in Appalachia and Kensington, and, and how are they like you and me or somebody who might have a problem? And just to give a preview tagline, they all combine great talent or and sometimes a legacy, but with a stable middle-class existence. They all lead, I, I wouldn't, it's crazy to talk about dull lives, like my dull life compared to theirs, but they lead very stable existences. So a, a quick nod out to Drew Barrymore, who's so, such a cultural icon. She's always out there skirting around these issues. Uh, the person who's not in recovery, who's in recovery, but she was famous before she was born. The name Barrymore's world famous in the arts and drama before anybody even thought of Drew Barrymore. <clears throat> but she always displayed great talent. And now she's seemingly an extremely well-organized person. And the thing she most emphasizes now, along with her work, is her two daughters. She's a mother and she's very aware of her role as a mother and not, you know, spoiling the children allowing them to experience life like a normal person. So that's a, a strong subtrend. So she had sort of everything, a famous name, great talent, great success, and now motherhood, <clears throat> but she was really down and out. But let's go on. Lindsay Lohan also had untold successes as a young actress and a singer. Um, she starred in The Parent Trap when she was 14. She starred in Mean Girls. She still wasn't 20 and she had a big recording career. And of course, we're aware of people who were young stars who have had very drastic, dramatic downfalls. But she had a long, she had a substantial career before she was 20 years old. <clears throat> and I just like to preview something about her, what I would say about her. She was always kind of an achiever. Mm. Um, and, and then she really hit the skids. She was in and out of rehab for years and she was good at harm reduction. When she would get intoxicated, she would go out in the car and she'd crash the car and she'd be seen publicly. She didn't understand, let's say she wasn't well educated. All those rehab stints didn't teach her about harm reduction. Um, and then she had something else. Um, she had a pain in the ass father, a man named Michael Lohan, who was himself in AA and who constantly followed her around, telling her everybody she needed to be in rehab and getting her to go to rehab and telling her she needs to be in AA. So at, at that time, around 2010, she was still, uh, Lindsay Lohan, is now only 34 years old. Um, 10 years ago, in 2010, she was still running into all kinds of trouble. And I wrote an article for the Wall Street Journal, which is available at peel.net. And I said, bad advice for Lindsay Lohan, that she should enter rehab, declare herself a lifetime addict, never drink again. And she was 20 years old. Um, and then I pointed out that she had made an, 
all of her movies weren't great, but she had made recently a legendary a movie with legendary director Robert Altman, co-starring with Kevin Klein, Meryl Streep, and Lily Tomlin, Prairie Home Companion. Um, she had a lot, working with those people, you know, those are the top of the line professionals. She wasn't screwing around. And so this is the last paragraph I wrote about. Ms. Lohan needs to grow up, realize her talents, and find ways to fill her time that aren't self-destructive. Coming to see herself as an adult, accepting responsibility, and developing pride in her skills are difficult but time-tested therapeutic techniques. These are things Ms. Lohan won't learn in standard treatment programs. They, they could help to learn about them in the life process program. There's two ways we could go with this. I said in the introduction, all right, how is it that celebrities overcome addictions? Is that just, is that low-hanging fruit for us? Don't they have so many more resources? So we could talk about that and talk about what those resources, what would be adequate resources for a person. On the other hand, you can't have your cake and eat it too. So are resources sufficient, uh, resources, skills, strengths, maturity, sufficient to kick addiction, or aren't they? You would have to kind of argue, um, if you want to make that argument, you'd have to kind of argue, well, which has been done as you've previewed, Lindsay Lohan, Drew Barrymore, these are people who should be stuck in addiction forever. It doesn't matter how rich or famous they are, addiction took them over. And so, yeah, I think we'll, we'll hit on both of those things. Now, Lindsay Lohan didn't have a name like Drew Barrymore. She, I mean, she came from a family that had a little bit of money. Her father was a stockbroker, but he had gone down the tubes himself. Mm. Uh, she came from a broken home. Um, so I am saying that also she was discovered early. She was a model when she was a preteen. Um, you can't say she inherited a legacy and all kinds of... Um, rewards. In fact, as, as we'll see, she now kind of supports her family. I mean, her parents got divorced and remarried and re-divorced. They're kind of in that goofy situation. Um, but as late as 2014, it's hard to remember this, Oprah made an eight-part series called Lindsay. And the plot was is Lindsay Lohan a secretly still an alcoholic mm. addict and people don't know about it? That was like six years ago. Um, she's still in her 20s. But she wasn't uh, a foregone conclusion that she was getting better. And then in 2020, I wrote a piece for uh, Filter Magazine uh, called Lindsay Lohan Got Better the Old Fashioned Way. She grew up. She made a series that she was co-producer of called Beach Club. And it was based on clubs that she had established, restaurant and beach clubs and bars around the Mediterranean. And it depicted her in a funny way. She kind of looked like an overachieving type A personality. <laughs> they would interview people and they say, oh, I like her, she's very nice. She's a little bit of a stickler, you know what I mean? Imagine She's, following that uh, natural part of yourself all the way to its logical conclusion. Right. Let's eliminate the alcohol. And it turns out I'm a fairly detailed, compulsive person. <laughs> and then they interviewed her partner, who's a local Mediterranean. And he says, well, I know people have this image of Lindsay Lohan as a party girl. 
But when we get together, she makes a soup for me called something called borscht. Borscht, I, I don't believe, is a Mediterranean dish. And so uh, it was a little bit of a change of pace for him. And then she introduces me to television series like on Amazon. Uh, this idea that she's like this wild party girl. I mean, I, I will say one thing. She's a tough business partner. Lindsay Lohan is somebody who has been through a lot of business and a lot of Michigas, and she's ended up keeping a careful eye on the bottom line. Surprise, surprise, she's a businesswoman now. And then the most amazing thing is given her family difficulties, she has three younger siblings and her mother seems to be a little bit at loose ends. And when they interviewed her mother, she says, oh, thank God for Lindsay, she really keeps the family together. I sometimes really get disorganized. She helps me put it all together. She gives advice to her two younger sisters and brothers, some of whom are in show business. Lindsay Lohan is the mainstay of her family. So it wasn't because she, you could call her family traumatic. She certainly went through a lot of craziness and chaos, but she always had a lot of skills. She had an achievement attitude and she created a stable life for herself. The main thing I wanna point out about this is People now, at one point, not that long ago, people said, oh my God, she can't be getting better. Everybody knows what Lindsay Lohan's like. And now that's a, a foregone conclusion. People have forgotten that whole topic. Oh, Lindsay Lohan makes films and helps her family out. And she's a businesswoman. Bam. Who, who could figure? So people and I like to harken back to my um, Wall Street Journal piece, Bad Advice for Lindsay Lohan, where they were trying to convince her when she was 20, like, they were with Drew Barrymore at an even earlier age. Oh, you're a failure. You're a lifetime addict. But like I said, Lindsay Lohan is not the worst. If we want to name a human being that we know about who went through the worst throes of addiction, that wouldn't be Lindsay Lohan, although she was bad with alcohol. It would be Robert Downey Jr. Zach, could you help me just... Um, I'll just put in, in uh, interject here. Uh, my good friend, Ethan Nadelman, told me he was considering doing a podcast about drug use by famous people. And I'm, I really am gung-ho about that. And I named some famous people. And Ethan Nadelman is famous enough that he could actually interview them. And one of our themes here is that people don't understand harm reduction and moderate drug use because you're not allowed to talk about them. Mm. So. Ethan talking with those people would really be great. You and I, unfortunately, don't know any famous people. So we just have to talk about famous people. And so <laughs> I, know, I know a couple of famous people, but I, unfortunately, they have great lives and then never really had many problems. <laughs> uh, get them on then. Let's talk about no. that. I don't but, know any famous people at all. Um, well, maybe Ethan Adelman. Um <laughs> Um, maybe uh, Maya Salovitz. I'll just drop in. I saw Maya Salovitz do a congressional hearing yesterday where she interviewed a number of people in harm reduction and somebody spoke about something we will talk about that drug consumption sites were really important ingredients and Maya piped up. Um, yes, contrary to what people think that they tempt people to use drugs, it helps them to recovery. I think you mentioned, Maya, previously, one reason, uh, of course, speaking about famous people, our last segment was called Almost Famous, 
where I am struggling to almost be famous. Maya's famous. And one of her skills is to talk around all of the issues. Maya wrote something about recovery, saying, why am I not in recovery? Because I drink wine. And like I say, I'm not famous. Well, I don't know famous people, but I have drunk wine with Maya Salovitz. She's drunk wine, I had a beer. So I don't know if that counts. But here she is on the one hand questioning recovery and in the same end speaking to a national uh, hookup audience saying it helps them to be to recovery, meaning abstinence. What a, what a, she's bilingual. Can you begin? Mm. Um, so since we don't know anybody famous, we do deep research on Wikipedia. Could you help me by reading some excerpted sections from uh, Robert Downey's Wikipedia entry? Yeah, let me, re let me recap so far what some of the ingredients that we have, and then we'll put the Robert Downey Jr. story in play. I'll just, I'll read it off. So far, we're, you know, I set it up by saying, is there a world of difference between celebrities overcoming addictions and, you know, normies like us, or maybe even people who are um, undervalued in society or under-resourced? And then we started talking about the reasons why people thought some of these celebrities would be addicted forever. And maybe the, the idea, the maybe the idea about resources there is that, well, they have so much money they can keep attending and then dropping out of these Dr. Drew like rehabs forever. And the, they'll be okay. They'll just be kind of like buoys up and down. But all of the people we've talked about so far have overcome addictions and not because of Dr. Drew like rehabs, they've overcome them because of normal, human talents and skills, the range of which everyone, anyone could have. And now we're getting down to... And they ran, Lindsay Lohan and, and uh, Robert Downey Judy ran into financial problems. There's mm. a certain, you can screw up. They've made a lot of money, both of them. Well, now you can't even talk about Robert Downey, how much money he's made. You can screw up bad enough to really go through a lot of money. Um, but now we're going to talk about, yeah, Robert Downey. So the, all those all those parts are in play. I don't want people to forget that. And then also right. we just discussed uh, Maya Solovitz. And just, we don't need to pick on her so much. We can if you want, but. We love uh, Maya. But but the it's not Maya. It's the, it's in the zeitgeist. People are by, you know, people who are smart. And even if they believe in a story other than the standard recovery story, will still pander to it. Okay. You're so likable, Zach. I mentioned that last time. Well put. So let me give a little background to Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. is the son of Robert Downey Sr. Um, Robert Downey Jr. was raised in Greenwich Village, which not many people can say. There used to be something called underground movies. Now they're called alternative movies. And his dad was a king of underground movie makers. And he made a movie in the 60s called Putney Swope. Now either this is the plot of the movie or I was too stoned that I made this up entirely. There's an advertising agency and everybody's trying to position themselves so that they can get the number one position. And so they all pick to vote for Putney Swope, who's kind of in charge of some offbeat part of the company and he becomes president. And the film goes through what would be true if a marketing advertising company was run by a hipster African-American. Mm. That's the movie. 
and that was made by that that was made by Robert Downey Jr.'s father. And Robert Downey Jr. supposedly started taking drugs when he was six. And his father and everybody his father knew took drugs. So, and he describes having a good relationship with his father and drugs were the basis of it. So let's jump ahead. Robert Downey Jr. right now is 55 years old and he's a super duper star. We, 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 we are barely allowed to even talk about him. Although I'm gonna talk about a personal connection I have with him as we go along. So can you read from 1996 through 2001? From 1996 to 2001, Downey was arrested numerous times on charges related to drugs, including cocaine, heroin, and marijuana, and went through drug treatment programs unsuccessfully, explaining in 1999 to a judge, it's like having a shotgun in my mouth, and I've got my finger on the trigger, and I like the taste of gunmetal. And he explained his relapses by claiming to have been addicted to drugs since the age of eight, due to the fact that his father also an addict previously, previously had been giving them to him. Shall I go on? Yeah. Okay. Well, let uh, me just say, one of the things people might accuse us of, oh, people get over drugs yeah. because they take marijuana or they drink too much. Robert Downey went through the entire drug arsenal. <laughs> he really did go through it all. After Downey missed another required drug test in 1999, he was arrested once more, despite Downey's lawyer, Robert Shapiro, assembling the same team of lawyers that successfully defended O.J. Simpson during his criminal trial for murder. Downey was sentenced to a three-year prison term at Cochran, California. Um, at the time of the 1999 arrest... It's the California Substance and Treatment Facility. Three years at a substance treatment facility. Oh, God, kill me now. I mean, oh God. So go on. His, at the time, his projects had been wrapped and were close to release. Before the end of a season on, uh, before the end of his first season on Ally McBeal. Wow, that feels like ages ago. Over Thanksgiving 2000 holiday, Downey so was- So he got out. Yeah. Or he was on probate, I don't know what. And he got a big gig at Ally McGill and he was yeah. successful again. So one storyline is, oh, some people get successful, boom, they overcome. But that's not the Robert Downey Jr. story. Go on. Thanksgiving 2000 holiday, Downey was arrested when his room at Merv Griffin's Hotel and uh, Da Vinci Spa in Palm Springs, California, was searched by the police who were responding to an anonymous 911 call. And Downey was under the influence of a controlled substance and in possession of cocaine and Valium despite the fact that if convicted, it would have, he would have faced a prison sentence of up to four years and eight months. He signed on to appear in at least eight more Alan McBeal episodes. And then in April 2001, while he was on parole, a Los Angeles police officer found him wandering barefoot in Culver City, and he was arrested for suspicion of being under the influence of drugs. He was released a few hours later, even though the tests showed that he had cocaine in his system. Now, is this the worst case of addiction? that ever existed? Is this man doomed? I mean, uh, you don't get cases this bad that go on for years, failure after failure, wandering around in public, drug intoxicated. It's impossible. The stakes were high. He couldn't seem to stop himself. I mean, even he said, it's like he likes the taste of gunmetal. It's like he likes the abuse or something like that. Um, he added 
after his arrest late April 2001, when he knew he would likely be facing another stint in prison or another form of incarceration, such as court or rehab, he said, Never mind. You know what? He said, you know what? I don't think I continue doing this. Uh, so as I, and I reached out for help and I ran with it. You reach out for, you can reach out for help in a kind of half-assed way and you'll get it and you won't take advantage of it. It's not the that difficult. The next point I put in bold. It's not that difficult. You're right. You are bold. It's not that difficult to overcome these seemingly ghastly problems. What's hard is just to decide to do it. Isn't that an amazing statement? I mean, he's not a disease kind of a guy. You know what I mean? He's not saying, oh, I'll never get over this. My life is doomed. He's saying, you know, it's not that you go. I got over it when I wanted to. It's not that hard. Oh. And this is how he got over it. And this it is where I, I'm going to introduce myself into this story too. So go on. Oh yeah, this is, you make a cameo. In 2003, Downey met producer Susan Levin, an executive vice president of uh, production at Joel Silver's film company, Silver Pictures, on the set of Gothica. Though uh, Susan twice turned down his amorous advances. She I wonder what could possibly make her wary, but go on. <laughs> no, keep going, keep interjecting. She and Downey did quietly strike up a romance during production. Despite Susan's worries that the romance would not last after the completion of the shooting because, well, he's an actor, I have a real job, the couple's relationship continued after the production wrapped on Gothica, and Downey proposed to Susan the night before her 30th birthday. In August 2005, the couple were married in a Jewish ceremony in Armageddon, New York. That's Long Island, New York, or someplace like that. Uh, um, it, now he's going to tell us how he did it, just for everybody to learn. He maintains that he's been drug-free since July 2003 and has credited his wife with helping him overcome his drug and alcohol habits, along with his family, therapy, meditation, 12-step recovery programs, yoga, and the practice of, I, I can't read that, but it's some sort of like martial arts. Wing Chun Kung Fu. Thank you. Um, he married a Jewish woman. Yeah. Uh, his father's part Jewish. I happen to know that. Um. In my experience, Jewish people, so he got better by doing, he listed his family, number one, therapy, meditation. He's got 12-step recovery in there, yoga, and the practice of win. So in my experience, Jewish people don't just say, oh, I'm powerless and I'm going to make amends to God. They like to mix and match and stir it up. Um, um, and so here's my little cameo where I appear as a faint shadow in this whole story, um, my family's Jewish. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, let me draw you in here. Who's the most famous person in the Life Process Program who's related to me? Uh, your uncle? What, you remember his name? <laughs> yeah, Oscar. Uncle Oscar's last name is Levin. Hmm. He's married, he was married to my mother's sister, and my family's name is Fromberg. So I'm not gonna say that no Frombergs ever consumed or had problems with drugs or alcohol, but I am pretty sure to say that no member of the family, the previous generation, my generation, and next generation, ever went to AA or 12-step rehab. We're not a 12-step family. Mm -hmm. And Oscar had a daughter named Marcy, 
Her son had a bar mitzvah. Uh, they live in Manhattan Beach, which is one of those places near the beach near LA. And when I went there, I stayed in some modest hotel. I didn't stay in the uh, Beverly Hilton on Wilshire Boulevard. And when I went down for breakfast, I met Susan Levin's father, <laughs> who was in town from wherever, I'm against it, because something was happening in Hollywood with his daughter. And there, there should probably be a law against me talking to people who have addiction in their families. I control, I'm just, I'm not gonna reveal any secrets, except to say his bottom line was something like, oh, Robert, uh, he's a nice guy. He's good to my daughter. He's very tied down. He's very connected to our family. Now, and he's been that way since July 2003. You know, 17 years is getting, you know, you're getting to feel we're okay. This was years, a couple of years ago. So um, Robert Downey Jr., very talented man, did come from a talented family. Um, he made a lot of movies before he went down the tubes. And I, I actually loved his old movies more. In fact, one of the movies made his, that he made was, was it The Talking Detective? What was it called? Where he played a schizophrenic detective. I loved it. And I actually went, I love him so much. I actually went to see one of the Iron Man movies, but I can't really watch those movies. So he's a guy who was sort of famous, came from a famous background, went completely down the tubes, got back up belatedly. You know, it took him a little while. He was in his 30s. That's later than you're supposed to. Um, 2003 is 17 years ago. He's 55 now. He was well into his 30s. This is this would be now, a perfect uh, Johan Hari case study because for Robert Downey Jr., it was clear that there was one missing element, family and connection. That's two. And a personal resolution somehow. Mm. Um, and uh, he put it all together, you know, and he has a combination of things that he relies on, but the number one thing is his family. And it's just like a normal, the funny thing to me was his father-in-law, you know, I assume Robert Downey would put him up in a nice hotel if he wanted to. I don't know, it wasn't a, a, a Motel 6, but you know, we weren't staying in elegant surroundings, it was fine. His father's-in-law is like a normal person. It seems like he wanted to, and his wife said, well, I was having an affair with an actor, but where was that really going to go? And maybe he wanted a normal person wife, you know? So what we're saying is that people with the worst situations, nobody was worse off than Robert Downey, can organize their lives, can make resolutions through the normal evolution and outpouring of their lives, coping with problems, emphasizing family, all of them emphasize that we've mentioned emphasize family connections. Drew Barrymore, uh, Lindsay Lohan and her mother, um, Robert Downey Jr. and his wife, which is, you know, anybody can have a family. So let me get back to the, the question that you also started with. What, and we talked about um, right this minute, President, former President Obama, God, we could use him again, couldn't we? Mm -hmm. um, 
uh, is talking in Philadelphia where they have Kensington. And I'm just going to talk uh, about Kensington and my connection to Kensington now. I'm writing my memoir. So I worked in Kensington selling shoes. I'm from Philadelphia. Before I was a teenager, my father had a shoe store. And Kensington is where the killing fields of Philadelphia are. And I just, in December of 2019, last week, I mentioned, I think Nora Volko is becoming a peelist. She wrote in Nora's blog, it's a cute total title, isn't it? <laughs> Whenever I ask people on the front line, remember she said, it's all about the dopamine. Remember I quoted her from the Times? Of course. She's changed her tune a little. Whenever I ask people on the front lines of America's drug crisis, <laughs> what more we can do to support and help their work, they remind me how essential it is to address the basic needs of individuals with addiction, such as stable and safe housing, food, basic medical care, and an opportunity for employment. I worked with uh, above and beyond. We had four elements and the elements she leaves out, we have housing, we have health, we have work and employment and purpose. The things Laura, you said, I don't know why is, and that we have in the life process program is intimacy and community, is mm. human connection. So the question to get back to the original question that you posed, do people in the worst environments like Kensington, um, is it impossible for them to get out? Do they have no opportunity for intimacy and community? And of course, um, no, that's not true. It's obviously not true. Obviously, they're in stress families. Obviously, we're not doing the most we can to support families and communities. But I just want to tell a few little stories about Kensington now and about communities. Um, I used to attend a basketball league there, um, the Rucker League. And I would go there and I would be the only, me and the people I brought would be the only white people there. Everybody was there, was black. And Philadelphia is known as a basketball town. There was a lot of pros playing in these summer leagues. I never had any problem or saw any problem, ever. Nothing like a problem. Everybody there was there to watch basketball. Not too many years ago, I was in Philadelphia, Temple University is in North Philly, at a conference I was visiting with a girlfriend. And on a Saturday night after the conference, I said, well, let's go in and see what's happening. And we went to a bar, there was a bunch of students, and the woman I was with said, I don't want to go in there. And, you know, I rely on people like you, her, <clears throat> Archie, and Will, people with better judgment than me in life to direct me in the right direction. We didn't go there. We wandered into Kensington and we went to a basement bar and we were the only white people there. <clears throat> and they were having a female singing group, a kind of a Motown group. Um, you could get, they gave the drinks in a, a kitchen glass size, a double vodka costs $5. We, we weren't driving. And so it was a completely, everybody behaved perfectly. Everybody was in that community. Everybody understood 
what we were about. Everybody was perfectly nice to us, although we were so out of place. It was so obvious. Everybody knew to care for everybody else. Everybody was enjoying what they were there to do. Community is present, employable, and developable everywhere. And I'll just tell one last, um, if I may, a community story. I live in Brooklyn now. I live near um, Flatbush. And for some reason I was out one night and I was aware there was NCAA basketball championships won. And I was looking for a bar. For some reason, African-American neighborhoods don't have bars. Like in Park Slope, they have all these bars, beer bars and everything. And I saw a store open where they were selling tobacco. And I went there. And in the back room, I saw a big television and a bunch of guys there. And I said to the provider, I said, sorry, I'm not from here. I mean, I live three blocks away. I said, what is this? He says, oh, it's a bunch of guys watching Syracuse play basketball in the NCAA championships. And I said, uh, can I go there? <laughs> and he said, sure. And I went there and I was the only white guy with 25 black guys and they had all brought, it wasn't, I don't think this operation is totally legal. I won't give the address. They had all brought their own alcohol mm. and they were passing it around to everybody. And I started thinking, oh my God, this is really embarrassing. Me, the privileged guy came here empty handed and I said, is there a liquor store I can go out? And everybody said, relax. And they gave me a couple of shots and they, and they had Guinness beer, which I love. We watched the game and I said, you know, I'm really sorry I didn't bring anything. So oh, next time you'll bring something. So there's community and family. On the one hand, they're very hard things to come up with. On the other hand, they're an infinite supply. Mm. Human beings can create them at will with help, with the right companions and people in any kind of, I don't want to call those bad environments, environments that people regard as deprived. Kensington is considered, you know, a bedrock dead end community. And so the answer to the question can people get over addictions, even if they're really down and out? Yes. Can people get over addictions, even if they don't live in the most fecund, supportive communities, and even if our government doesn't really help them? And the answer is yes to that, too. There's something, and, that, uh, there's something that I, and this is what I've always intuited, working with children and watching and helping them develop and working with their families. You know, there's a question can they, can they get over their addictions? Can they do it the same way that Lindsay Lohan did it or Robert Downey Jr. did it? And the answer is yes, of course, they can't even, it's almost like you can't even help but create the kinds of ingredients that would be necessary to overcome addiction, no matter where you are, as long as there are people around, you know, as long as you have something to do and some purpose. A different question is, is there an alternative to doing those things? Is there really an alternative to using normal human being life channels, connection, community, purpose, meaning. And the answer is only if you give up on their ability to do so in the first place. And people say, oh, we can't, these people can't really use those strategies. They need a different way. 
So let's give them some different way on mass. That is, it comes from a compassionate place, I suppose I would have to guess, but it's really, it's always seemed to me like that just means um, let's give up on these people. Wow. That's, that's a pretty good summary. And the only thing I want to add to that is that Nora Volka was on your team. Yeah. All about the Never dopamine. Thought. Yeah. That's a brain disease of the will. And now in December of 2019, she goes to Kensington and she's finally learning that people need purpose and employment, housing, health, community and family. And that her claptrap is a substitute, but it's an in, it doesn't work. You cannot replace the basic guideposts of life, the basic pillars of life with magical potions. So do you think so, that someone like Nora Volkov's behavior matches her upgraded attitudes or at least her rhetoric? It remains to be seen where she's going. I mean, one of the ironies that I described last week and I, yesterday I was watching um, our, our beloved companion, Maya Salovitz, and we, we do love Maya, I love Maya. Um, and uh, it was a panel of four other harm reduction experts all explaining how we're gonna get people out, we're gonna get out of this addiction spiral by offering people more medication. No, we won't. We'll never do it that way, never. And we're not doing it that way. Um, there's no shortcut to human connection and purpose. And so, well, another stories from Sunday, you know, a lot of the stories were about me, but what can I tell you? You know, I've lived a long time and uh, I'm writing my memoir. And when I tell these stories, I always think, I wonder if people really believe them. <laughs> Stanton was at a relative's bar mitzvah and he was hanging around with Robert Downey Jr.'s father-in-law. That He must've made that, that's impossible. Well, in terms, of, in terms of you making it up, I've never heard you make up a story uh, to give you more status. If anything, you, you are uh, honest to a fault, I don't know. But I have heard you, uh, I have seen that you've, the first time you visited me in Vermont, you wrote up sort of a summary about your visit, the day, how it went. And there were times in the day I remember I thinking, you're probably not paying attention or I'm doing this thing and you're somewhere else. And you wrote this summary about our day that just captured the intricacies and the nuanced kind of things that happened, the conversations and, and your story and your memory about those stories seems to hold up forever. So I, I you know, I, I have some faith that those stories are not made up and that they're, they're, uh, they held true over time. That's uh, you began this by saying, Stan's a person who watches cases of famous people and thinks about how they relate to theories of addiction and how people get better. I do. I am completely, constantly, mindfully enmeshed in the here and now, and I have been my entire life. Every particle of experience that floats by me, somehow I absorb and file and filter through um, to create my image of what people are like and what people can be like and how we can help them. It's, uh, I'm often amazed that I'm with researchers and something remarkable happens and they don't remember it afterwards. And I'm saying, well, you're writing about this. 
Um, how don't you notice? I'll just end with one last story. When I was giving a lecture last year in Ireland, Dahi uh, was there, and I started talking about different ways that people drank, and there was a woman in the front row, you know, I impolitely call them people, and I say, you know, people drink differently in Ireland and Italy. Have you ever been to Italy? She said, yes. And I said, can you describe how they drank? And she looked blankly and I said, you, you went to Italy and you didn't notice the people drank wine at all their meals? It was impolite of me. I shouldn't have put her on the spot like that. <laughs> but how can you come to a seminar to learn about addiction and substances and go in an environment that's steeped in a certain substance and a way of dealing with it without picking up the aroma of it? That's uh, that's the mystery to me. You mentioned some right. people are bilingual, and so that transfers to, I guess, experiences and beliefs too. Yeah, <laughs> stay awake, ask questions, ask why people do things, ask why you do things. Uh, it's called mindfulness. I hope uh, this brought value to people. Uh, we have a few stories or or pitches that we've given to each other in the queue. So we're not going to be short of any. And I should let you know, uh, you don't know this yet, but a few people have stepped up and said that they're willing to tell their own stories. Some not so famous people are willing to tell their own stories. You're so going to be can, the greatest interviewer in those stories. We're going to beat Ethan Nadelman and his famous people. <laughs> we'll All see. Right, All right, Stanton. Happy Sunday. Bye now. Bye.